I wanted to write a Western because I have wonderful memories of watching the old Westerns, John Wayne yeah. and Gary Cooper and everything with my dad. So I thought, you know, and fiction was definitely something I liked. When I start to write, when I started to write this book, the stories just popped into my head and the characters popped into my head. And it was almost like a video was playing. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 164 of the Command of Voice. Today, I speak with an award-winning local author. Please welcome Deborah Swenson. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Camino Voice podcast, where I interview local business owners, comedians, singers, and more. I dive into their backstory to find out how they got where they are, what are some of the tips for you to do the same, and find out where they are going. Tune in every week as I interview more of the people you see every day. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another week of the Camino Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. Uh, and I hope you guys are having a good week. Uh, spoilers, I am actually uh, out of town this week, but I pre-recorded this and posted it, so it's coming out this week. I'm actually in Tahiti, so hopefully I am having a good time and I'm still alive. Um, I'm sure I'm still alive. I'm sure I am. Okay. Um, anyways, uh, but just a reminder, uh, I do have this episode posting this week, but I won't have one next week and possibly the week after, depending on how quickly I can get back on the ball and get a interview scheduled. So uh, that's just a little book, uh, housekeeping, not bookkeeping, housekeeping for you before we jump into this episode. Uh, but hope you guys are having a good week. Uh, thank you guys for joining me again. Um, all right. So today I'm interviewing Deborah Swenson. Um, and as I mentioned in the intro, she's an award-winning local author here from Camano Island. And um, her book, Till My Last Breath, uh, is a the has been released and it won first place at the I'm going to butcher this Chanticleer International Book Awards conference. Um, and so this is book one, as I mentioned. Uh, so she's going to have this is going to be part of a trilogy. Uh, so we get into this book, how she got into writing. Um, and a couple weeks ago, you're going to remember I interviewed Brittany Tucker, um, who is another author. And um, I actually was asked by another. Um, well, actually, a previous guest, uh, Dr. Ray Pope, to um, to do a podcast where we talk about the writers group on the island. So this is apparently the year of writers, uh, which I'm I'm here for it because I I love I love the idea and aspects of writing. Um, and who knows? Maybe someday I'll decide to write a book. But for now, I enjoy talking to the authors, uh, finding out their writing process. So as I mentioned before. With Brittany, she has one style of writing process, and you're going to hear today, we're going to talk a very different, um, which I love that compare and contrast, because everyone has their own story and their own way that they want to tell it. Um, it it kind of reminds me, I don't know if you guys will remember this far back, but when I interviewed uh, Andy and Bonnie um, from Cat's Paws Bees, and then I interviewed Jennifer from Kamano Island Honey, again, different ways of producing honey. Um, both were very good. Uh, Andy has actually since um, retired from that. So, um, yeah. So, of course, that has that has changed. Um, yeah. So, we don't care their honey anymore, sadly. Okay. Somehow, I got from book writing to honey. So, I think that's uh, my sign to jump into the podcast. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Deborah Swenson. 
Hey Islanders and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice. Today I'm here with an award-winning local author. Welcome to the podcast, Deborah Swenson. Thank you, Brian, for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, it's Brandon, but that's fine. Oh, Brandon, I also, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's fine. I also have got, I get Eric a lot because my last name is Erickson. And so they hear Eric and they're like, Eric, got it. I'll even get in emails. I'm like, but it says it. So no problem at all. Uh, before we get started, tell us a little bit about Deborah. Well, Deborah is originally from the East Coast, New England. Okay. Uh, came here at a very early age with my parents, mm -hmm. and we moved to uh, the Shoreline area. Resided there for well over 50 years in the same house. Wow. Yeah. That's and a lot of change. Too. It <laughs> is. It really is. Actually, when I moved up here, uh, we had, I had been in that house for 56 years. Wow. So it was kind of bittersweet you know, letting go of the house, but my family was up here on Camino and Stanwood okay. and Marysville, so I was the only one down south, and I decided it was time to make a move, Yeah, and I am so glad that I did, <laughs> so glad. You know, my dad was stationed out here in World War II, and he always told my mom that he wanted to moved to Washington State, and thankfully he did. He said there was better work opportunities for him and actually better edu educational opportunities for me. So, okay. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. So um, when, did you, uh, when did you move over here to, to Washington then? Oh, I'm going to age myself here. Uh, 1958. Okay. So I was, you can do the math, I was six years old okay. at the time. So Nice. So then, uh, what was it like for you growing up in Shoreline? And maybe just because it's um, back then, what was Shoreline kind of like back then? Shoreline was almost like the island. It was very rural at the time. We still had some farmland around it. There were some ranches uh, with horses. Um, and we were in a small neighborhood with very few houses, but... By the time that I left, it was congested and traffic <laughs> and, yeah, so. Yeah. But it was fun in the early stages. It was very, very fun, so. Yeah. Good place to grow up. Yeah, for sure. So then growing up there, um, was, it thing, were, was there anything that led you to writing at that time? Was it something you enjoyed in school and things like that? You know, I don't think so early on, you know, in my... Um, grade school or even in high school at the time, I loved to read. I was a voracious reader. Yeah. Um, and writing actually came to me more in college, specifically because you had to write. Yes. You know, you had to write papers. You had to write a thesis. Um, but for early stages in my life, writing wasn't even uh, considered at the time. Okay. Nice. What were your kind of things that you were looking at as you were in high school and stuff that you were looking ahead towards? I wanted to be a nurse. Always okay. had. Um, right out of high school, I went to Shoreline High School. I went into Shoreline Community College, mm -hmm. got my prerequisites, and graduated from there. Got a job at, um, which was then Stevens Hospital in Edmonds. It's now Swedish okay. Edmonds. Um, and worked there for a while, went back. Um, got my bachelor's degree at Seattle Pacific University, and then got my master's degree in nurse practitioner. Okay. So, been a nurse for 47 years before I retired. Okay. So, 
nice. excellent career. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. Wish I was still doing it, but yeah. n- not in this stage. Right. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. Well, and, and it has, um, nursing has gone through so much in the last, yes. I mean, especially in the last four, you know, three years now at this yes. point. Um, but even leading up to that, I think that just highlighted some of the things. But we had, there was issues within it before then that it wasn't, uh, we weren't as solid as we thought we were on right. a lot of things. Right. I mean, quality of healthcare kind of took a, a drop a little bit because staffing issues, mm-hmm. um, administration issues, which was totally ongoing. But the nurses as a whole and the other ancillary staff gave 110%. Yes. So I, you know, I can say that if anybody is interested in becoming a nurse or going into any other healthcare career, do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's well worth it. And I retired just prior to um, COVID. Okay. So, you know, in that respect, I was kind of fortunate, but it was a little bittersweet too at the time yeah. that I couldn't be able there to help out. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So then, um, you know, you went, you had a nursing career. During that time, were you also dabbling in writing or? I was. Um, When I worked uh, early in my career, I would write guidelines, um, protocols, develop graphing and everything to make um, care smoother and easier to, you know, be consistent, each nurse who took Mm -hmm. care of the patient. Um, And then once I um, finished my nurse practitioner, I attended conferences, and I got in touch with a a gal that was with Advanced Nurse Practitioner Magazine, and I thought, gee, you know, this is something interesting. And I submitted a couple of my writings, which I had done previously, mm-hmm. and they took me on um, their advisory board, their editorial advisory board. Okay. Prior to that, I had, in 1990, no, 1999, I wrote a manual, a nursing manual for obstetrics, published it on my own, Okay. had it printed, and one of the physicians I worked with at the University of Washington... Um, said, you know, you really should get this to a traditional publisher. Yeah. She introduced me to her editor, and it was just kismet. You know, he took it on. They published it. From there, I was able to be a co-contributor or a contributing author to two of their nursing texts for two editions, and I was thrilled with that. Yeah. And that kind of, I thought... You know, you don't you don't get rich making writing healthcare manuals, right. you know, technical manuals, um, and you don't get rich, you know, with writing fiction and nonfiction either. <laughs> but but I thought, you know, I want to do something different. So um, I thought, you know, let's try writing fiction. And I attended a conference in 2013, and it was the Romance Writers of America, and it was held in Bellevue. Um, under the Emerald City Writers group. And one of the national known authors did a presentation and she challenged the audience to write a book in nine months. And wow. I thought, 
I'll take that challenge. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking, but I thought, okay, let's just see what you can do. So I came up here for a two-week vacation and stayed at a family's residence here, and I wrote the draft and the first part of the book in two weeks. Wow. Yeah, and I thought, okay. You know, and then life happened, and it got set aside, and then I'd pick it up once in a while, and then it gets set aside again. And then finally, in 2018, I went to um, Women Writing the West Conference. It was held in uh, Walla Walla. Okay. And I really got enthused about picking that book up and writing. And a good friend of mine went with me. She is not a writer, but she kept saying, you've got to finish that book. You just have to. I met my publicist there, who is now my publicist, um, and it's an amazing group of supportive women. So, um, And I finished the book. Nice. And at the time, because of COVID, yeah. the publishing industry was taking a hit. Okay. Um, they were not taking on new authors. They were, some of them were closing shops, some of them were just laying off people, so they didn't have the staff to, you know, do the normal editing and proofreading and that type of thing. So I thought, when I did contact a couple of them, they said it would be two to three years, and I said, well, I've already spent, you know, at that time, seven years yeah. writing it, which... For some authors, that's not very long, but I thought, you know, I really want to get this out there. Yeah. So my publicist recommended um, Kelly Lydic with the Story Laboratory, who is okay. down in uh, Arizona, and she works in coordination with Book Baby. Okay. So I did my research on that and decided that it was a good fit for me. Mm-hmm. So I was able to, um, you know, work with her in designing the cover, which has won an award and work with her in the layout. Um, and I was very pleased with the outcome of the book. So. Yeah. And now I'm working on book two, which I hope to get finished by the end of the month. So. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. So then, um, so talk us through that a little bit. Um, I, I think one thing when it comes to, you know, I've interviewed artists, musicians, um, and I've interviewed some authors, um, but I've listened to a lot of things about writing books because it's fascinating to me. And everyone kind of has their own process. Mm -hmm. So what is your process when you were, I mean, this book spanned many years of putting it together, but what was your first step in deciding this is what I want to do and this is how I want to create it? Well, you know, I wanted to write a Western because I have wonderful memories of watching the old Westerns, John Wayne and Gary Cooper and everything with my dad. Mm -hmm. So I thought, you know... And fiction was definitely something I liked. When I start to write, when I started to write this book, the stories just popped into my head and the characters popped into my head. And it was almost like a video was playing. Mm-hmm. And don't ask me where they came from, you know, <laughs> or how I got them to Arizona in the time period, but it worked. And each day when I got up to sit at the computer, I'm an early riser, so I'm usually at the computer by five. Wow. So I can do about <laughs> four hours before life really starts. Um, it just flowed. It was just really, I don't know, it was just, it seemed easy at the time. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. So, um, as you were building, as you were writing that story, did you always know you wanted to make it a trilogy or make it longer? 
In the beginning, no. It was going to be a standalone book. Okay. Uh, but my publicist recommended um, a trilogy because people are more interested in following a continuing story. Right. And, which made sense. And so what I did with um, this book is I introduced the two characters that would be the main characters in book two at the end of book one. Okay. So it was kind of like you could really just follow the flow. Yeah. And I'll do the same thing in book two. I'll introduce the two main characters for book three Okay. at the end of book two. Yeah. So Very cool. So then in writing, um, what is your, uh, I guess in this new book that you started, how long has that writing process been for you? Well, I started outlining. Mm-hmm which I did not do with book one. Okay. I did not yeah. write an outline. I just sat down and I typed. And that yep. was it as the story came to me. But I did outline this one. Um, and that was like two years ago I started the outline on that. Okay. And But it, it has changed dramatically. So, I mean, the characters will tell you where they want to go and what they want to do. Yeah. So... Um, but it really hasn't changed that much. I mean, I still get the pictures, the characters, and the videos in my head of how I want them to, you know, evolve. Yeah. But there is a lot of research because this is historical. Okay. So in book two, I've got the character. She has to come from Boston to Arizona. Okay. In the 1880s. So, you know, the time frame of getting her transported there, it's, you know, via train, via stagecoach, and... So it's, you know, crossing rivers, Indian attacks, and, you know, those type of things. So. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. And then in writing the second book, um, do you, have you had any of the, you know, writer's block or anything of that as you've been going through? I don't want to call it writer's block. I hate that term. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and, and I think a lot of authors would agree with me. Um, I have been stumped a few times, um, and... You know, the mood has to be right Yeah. to write, yep. essentially. Um, there are days where I say, you know, I'm just not in the mood to write. I'll go downstairs and I'll quilt. So, Or I'll go outside for a walk. I mean, you know, so many beautiful places we can go here on the island. Yeah. And that helps, you know, while I'm doing that, the characters will pop up and say, okay, you need to get back to me. This is what I want to do. Yeah. So. Very cool. Um, that's been something uh, uh, in my past. Um, when I was a kid, we did a, in our uh, school we were in, they did a writing, like a mini book competition. So the, your whole project over that mm-hmm. year was writing this like little mini story. Sure. Um, so I did that, and I, I really enjoyed writing that story. As a kid, I always had a story going on in my head, mm-hmm. um, whether that was taking characters from known universes and stuff like that, like from other people mm-hmm. and creating my own story with them or creating my own story from scratch and kind of playing with it that way. Um, anyways, I've always enjoyed that aspect because when you're sitting down and you're writing those stories, you sit down and you realize these people, these things, they can go anywhere I want them to go. Right. Um, and that's the fun part of writing. Yeah. I mean, you have control sometimes if the characters talk to you and say, no, I don't want to do that, yeah. you know. But most of the time, you've got control of what you want to do. So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in and, and fiction, I love fiction because it's telling, t- 
telling a story that's coming from your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and not that nonfiction is not, because I've, I've read some amazing nonfiction with the mm-hmm. authors. Um, I also belong to Western Writers of America. So, you know, it's an amazing group of people. And those that do write Westerns, historical Westerns, I mean, have amazing stories to tell. So, yeah. It's great. Nice. So um, when choosing kind of your genre of, of what to write in, um, what prompted you to re, uh, choose romance as, the, as kind of an overarching genre? You know, that's hard to say. My, this has got, my books have a little bit of romance in them. They're not, they're clean romance. Okay. So there's nothing graphic in them. Um, and I've also, you know, I kind of liked a little bit of fantasy, sci-fi. So I've got um, in here some time travel with one of the characters. Um, and I have, um, it will be in all three books where there is a character. And it's, I don't know, it's just something that spoke to me that needed to be written that way. So Yeah, very cool. Um, so um, we talked about that you picked the time period because that was something that um, stood out for you on a personal level. Sure. Um, uh, as you look at the, the you got this series, um, are you already looking at other series that you want to write, and are those going to are you expecting those to be in the same time period? Or are you going to be trying to branch and try different things? I think I'm going to try different things. Right now, I have two other books that I've started, and they're more contemporary romance. Um, And one is actually based um, in the Skagit Valley. Okay. um, And one is uh, based in eastern Washington. So, um, and I I am interested in writing nonfiction, but I'd like to write something in the history of Stanwood Camino. Okay. So, that's something I'd be researching. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. So then... um, uh, so you're, you're doing, you've got this project. Um, talk a little bit about um, the self-publishing side. Um, you mentioned Book Baby at one point. Maybe explain that a little bit, and then also talk about what self-publishing looks like um, in your experience. Okay. So right now they're calling it independent publishing versus self-publishing. But um, I had uh, researched many, many... Uh, different um, groups and uh, businesses that actually would self-publish for you. Some, I mean, you can see multiple things on Facebook and email and people are reaching out to you, oh, we'll publish your book for $10,000, you know, or something, whatever, some outrageous price. Yeah. Uh, You know, just sign this contract type thing and, and, and... I'm glad I shied away from that. You know, yeah. some people have gotten burned, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Um, I felt comfortable self-publishing um, with Book Baby because uh, of being referred to uh, Kelly by my publicist. Yeah. And she had worked with Book Baby, Baby excuse me, for several years and um, felt that it would be a good fit for me at the time. And I was pleased with it. So essentially what happens, you have to have everything in the format that you want. Yeah. Single type, lines, you know, paragraphs and everything like that. And then you 
can send it to um, directly to Book Baby, or you can go through um, like I did, somebody that worked with Book Baby Kelly. Yeah. And then they helped um, edit. They can proofread. Um, they actually have cover designers that you work with. Um, People that'll go through line by line, making suggestions of, you know, this really would look better, especially if it's an editor that's going through it, why, suggesting how you would reword things to make it clear and easy to read. Yeah. Um, and then you would have to approve everything, you know, uh, before it gets published. And then Book Baby, once they do all the publishing deck, I think it's in New Jersey, um, send you the books. Uh, I got a hundred books. Obviously, that's part of the package. Yeah. So, <clears throat> when you have them published, it does cost when you self-publish. Obviously. Right. So um, I got the books, and I've gone through, hmm, I think about two hundred of them on self-sales right now. Okay. But it also Book Baby puts you on Amazon, um, and uh, Barnes and Noble. And then you can order it through any independent bookstore, okay. which I really recommend, you know, to support the local bookstores in the yeah. community. Um, unfortunately, we no longer have one in the area, so um, I've been using the um, bookstores up in La Conner, which is great. So, okay. Um, but once you get the book, and if I'm going with Kelly, um, I was able to get a discount. Okay. So... And I, I believe at this time, too, because the publishing industry, the big five have gone down to the big four, and now they're, as far as publishers, it's, it's dif difficult to get either an agent or those that take uh, writers without agents. They're overwhelmed at this time, you know, yeah. being post-COVID. So I believe I'll still go with um, Book Baby. Yeah. So... so um that, it's interesting to me because I feel like there's been a lot of people who have actually maybe expanded into writing and stuff during COVID because it was something you could do at home right. and things like that. Sure. Um, it's interesting that the, the actual publishing industry was is not like, hasn't been growing in that time. Because again, at home, you can read books still if you're stuck at home. Yeah. I think that was a confusing part to a lot of writers, authors. Yeah. Um, not understanding how the workings of what was going on with the publishing industry. Yeah. Um, and I maybe we'll never know. Yeah. So. Yep. Um, and, and then the other question is kind of with that, like the music industry is having a little bit of it being turned on its head uh, in the sense of a lot of musicians and stuff like that are finally getting out of their or like coming to the end of whatever their contracts were with the music industry. And so they're able to actually own their own music and things like right. that. Um, is that what you're seeing as far as the publishing industry is concerned? Um, some of the authors that I know who were in contracts with traditional publishers um, have been able to acquire, you know, their books back um, so they can publish on their own, make changes if needed. Um, but there's still quite a few of them that are held into a contract. Yeah. So. Okay. So then... With, uh, obviously, those things you lose with, with publishing, like, they've kind of got the full turnkey solution of all their different pieces that they have within their house. Um, and then they're allowing you to have access to those. Um, when you're doing that as an independent, 
Um, how are you, I guess, what are the big, what are the advantages and disadvantages to both sides in, in your perspective? Well, you know, I recently talked to an author who's um, been discussing a contract with a, a traditional publisher, and she's looking at, she has one, uh, her first book was an award-winning book, and her second book, um, which she has been talking with this publisher, if he's telling her it'll be 10 months to a year before they'd be able to get it out. Oh. So she's kind of, you know frustrated with that with the traditional publishers and you know then you're under a contract and um, you have to make sure that you have a literary attorney read your contract so you know you're you're getting what you um, hope to get yeah you know yeah um, and that you're not going to lose out um, in the long run now traditional publishing they don't do all the marketing for you. Yeah. You still have to do a big portion of your marketing. Right. Like I'm doing today. Yeah. So, you know, and that takes, you know, reaching out to people, reaching out to libraries, bookstores, you know. Now, the same thing with independently publishing. I have full control. Yeah. So I have no contract other than the contract I signed that they're going to print my book. Yeah. You know. Um, I had control over the cover. I had control over the layout, which with many traditional publishers, you don't. Yeah. So, I mean, you may have a say in it, but once you sign that contract, they have the final say. Yeah. So. Yeah. Which, I mean, some people want, you know, they don't want to be bothered with that. Right. So, um, I don't know too many authors that, you know don't want to be bothered, but yeah. um, I enjoyed this part. It was, you know, it was a good, it's business that we yeah. run, so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that uh, when it comes to any of these things, it's, uh, you know, you mentioned the marketing piece. Um, when we're doing these types of projects um, or, or businesses, like, I think a lot of people look for that click it and forget it and set it and forget it and like these right. easy button methods to getting it done. Like, I want to write a book, I want to have a publisher put it out there for me and I wanted to hit New York Times bestseller. Like they're, yeah, they're we like, all do. <laughs> <laughs> but in, in all of that, and even, you know, you look at some of these like large fiction authors like Brandon Sanderson and stuff, like he's constantly putting out videos and stuff like that. At this point, he's got a big enough fan base that when he releases something, it's going to sell a lot. Yes. And yet he still is constantly trying to reach out and interact with his fans and stuff like that. It's kind of the new world that we're in that nothing is you can't do mass marketing like you used to be able to where you threw up a TV commercial and like then you sold a bunch of bars of soap like it has to be the soap that fits within your you know life you know <laughs> you know and so um, you know I think that's important but I think authors it's all self-driven like in a business it's self-driven as well but you're you're interacting with customers on the retail side you're interacting with customers on a one-on-one -on -one, like daily basis and things like that but authors you have to be completely self-driven in that you do and then you hit the finish line and that's not the finish line <laughs> no it's not and that's it i mean you really have to be self-motivated to write a book mm -hmm. so um and thankfully i you know i had great support from family and friends you know that kept encouraging me, finish the book, finish the book, keep going, you're going to do it. Um, 
but back to the marketing too. You know, a lot of um, authors need to be on social media as much as I dislike it half the time. <laughs> <laughs> but that's where your fan base comes from. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I don't know the numbers of people that are on, you know, on social media or Facebook or Instagram, Twitter, whatever. Um, but you know, that's the place that you really promote your work. Yeah. So, and that, you know, and there, that's where we have, you know, or I have, fortunate, um, to have the publicists that can help out with that. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Cool. So what are the ways that you stay motivated to keep pushing forward? And and especially in in this uh, independent publishing where you don't have a contract that says you have to have it by this date. Right. Um, I feel that it's, I've made a promise you know, to myself and to the public that I would get out book two, book three, you know, and keep writing. So I have to remember, like, it's when I make a commitment to somebody when I made it to work or somebody personal, I see it through. Yeah. So that's what keeps me motivated and writing. But, you know, everybody has an off day where they just don't want to sit down to the to the computer. Yeah. Um, so those are the days where I kind of recharge, regroup, and do something else creative. So. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. And so then, as you're kind of looking, if you're talking to uh, aspiring um, authors or new authors, what pieces of advice would you give them? I would say if you're aspiring and you've got a book in your heart, sit down and start writing you know the first draft is going to be lousy I know mine was the second draft may be just as lousy but eventually you'll get the flow you know and you'll be able to um, continue writing and on that thought too attend conferences Mm -hmm. take classes you know a lot of the community college offer um, creative writing classes uh, you could get those classes online. I mean, you can check on, obviously, on Facebook. There's always, you know, amazing authors that are offering to help with their craft. So nice. I would say just never give up. You yeah. know, if you have a desire to be an author, do it. Yeah, awesome. Just do it. Are there certain authors that you look to for either inspiration or that have been really influential in helping you um, in your writing? I would say yes, especially those from Women Writing the West Mm -hmm. and um, Western Writers of America. So uh, I would say the first uh, person that probably inspired me is, was the president at the time in 2018, uh, Carmen Pione, and she lives in in Enchilium. There is... um, Candace Simar, who lives in um, Minnesota, and there's Ashley Sweeney, who actually lives here in LaConnor okay. times, and then she um, goes to, I, I think, down in Arizona for the winter time. Okay. Smart lady. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, those are some of the women. The, the gentleman, I would say, is Mark C. Jackson, um, Thomas Claggett. Michael Ritt, Michael Farmer, I mean, all great authors, and they're books that 
you can tell that they all of these authors they've written from the heart yeah and they enjoy what they're doing yeah so I can't thank them enough for being a good inspiration so nice very cool and then lastly what do you see as your future as an author keep writing just continue to write um, I believe that there is I have a lot more stories to tell um, I know the characters are in there screaming to get out so um, and as long as I'm able to do it I will do it awesome so, yeah awesome all right. Well, I like to end every podcast with some rapid-fire questions. Sure. Uh, the first one is, what purchase of $100 or less have you enjoyed the most in the last three months? I hate to admit it. Fabric. All right. <laughs> fabric for quilting. I am a quilting fanatic. I just love it. So Very cool. Yeah. It's a good secondary outlet, and it also doesn't, like, you can kind of keep doing that while you're still thinking yes. and allowing your body to. Mm-hmm. And I do. I keep a notepad by my sewing machine so if something pops up that you know book wise that I'm writing then I I can jot it down nice cool all right Uh, who is the most influential person outside of your family in your life I actually have two people okay Uh, the first person is Pam and we have known each other since the fifth grade Mm. and have been friends for years I won't say how long I mean People can calculate it. <laughs> um, and then the second one is Jean. Amazing woman. She's seen me through, well, they both have seen me through good times and bad times. Yeah. But um, their support and encouragement has been overwhelming. Nice. And I can't thank them enough. Awesome. All right. This is a fill in the blank question. It's, I know this is weird, but I've always wanted to blank. This is going to sound weird. Drive an 18-wheeler. <laughs> All right. That's awesome. I don't know. There's something about sitting up in an 18-wheeler and going down the highway that just, I don't know, intrigues me. Yeah. It's hard work. It's, it's, it's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever I look at it, I'm always, uh, I'm like, on the freeway, I'm like, okay, you, you got to, like, watch where you're changing lanes, stuff like that. But sure. it's when I see them in the middle, like, Seattle, parked oh. in the middle, I'm like, there's no way. <laughs> yeah, especially when you get between two of them. Yeah. Yeah. No way. So, very cool. Um, who is an interesting or fascinating person that I should interview next? I've actually got two people. Okay. And um, one is Roxy. And she is the coordinator for the Camino, Camino Island Spinners. And she's part of the uh, Skagit Valley Weavers Guild, which I was a member of. But Spinning Fiber, she has got a knowledge base that is amazing. Okay. So the other person I would say would be Tim, who is part of the um, Smoky Point Desperados. Okay. And... He is, uh, it's a group that's dedicated to the sport of um, cowboy shooting. Yeah. And um, he would be fast. Both of them would be fascinating to talk to. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. All right. And lastly, what piece of advice would you give your 20-year-old self? You know, I have no regrets for what I did. 
you know, when I was a 20-year-old or, you know, even now, I would say I had the dream of becoming a nurse. I'd say just do it all over again. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Um, but I might be a little more, go in with my eyes a little wider open <laughs> than I did in the beginning. Um, you know, if you get this shy little 20-year-old, you know, going to college and, you know, and seeing things that you never imagined you'd see before or doing things, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast thank today. You. I appreciate it. Thanks, yeah. Brandon. It's very enjoyable. Yeah, it was good. All right. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Deborah Swenson for joining me on the podcast today. And thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other Islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode, you can go to CaminoCommons.com slash podcast. That's CaminoCommons.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening and see you next time.